I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face continually, sacrificing in gardens, making offerings on bricks, who sit in tombs and spend the night in secret places, who eat pig's flesh and the broth of tainted meat in their vessels, who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am too holy for you. These are a smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all day. Thus said the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and they say, do not destroy it, for there is blessing in it, so I will do for my servant's sake, and I will not destroy them all. I will bring forth offspring from Jacob and from Judah, possessors of my mountains. My chosen shall possess it, and my servants shall dwell there. This is the word of the Lord. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our garden until Christ came in the order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For many of you were baptized into Christ and have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. I mean, the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. But when fullness of time had come, God set forth his son, born of woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his sons into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, for you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the seventh chapter. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in a Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing beneath him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed her feet, and ointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman he was touching, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered, saying to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender has two debtors, one who owned 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which one of them will he love more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. And turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss from the time I came in. She has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. She has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. 
But he is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. This is the gospel of the Lord. As we come together today, I mentioned earlier that we're in this, in this new series of Church 101. As we begin, we begin with grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because that's truly why we come. That's why we're here, to receive that. You know, last week we talked about who, the who of worship. Who do we worship? And we worship an amazing and awesome God, a God who loves us, the truly sometimes unlovable. And as we talk about why we worship, this can be a question that we address each and every time we come through these doors. Sometimes we address it earlier when we're in our bed, wishing for a little more sleep. We ask, why, why do I come? Why do I have to? Is this something that's important or can I do this on my own? Or why, why worship in general? What is, what is the reason? And this is a valid question, something we probably should address. And as we talk today, I want to address this why we worship from the Gospel of Luke, from a few different stories, a few different ways that we see people in the New Testament times worshiping Jesus. The first of these passages I want to address comes from Luke chapter 5. And in this text, there's a turning point where we see Jesus approaching this man being carried in, actually lowered in on a mat. You see, Jesus was preaching and talking and sharing with a crowd. And this man couldn't get there on his own. In fact, he couldn't get there on his own even if he didn't have the crowd. He had four friends who carried his mat. And when they noticed he couldn't get in to see him, they went on top of the roof and cut a hole and dropped him through in front of Jesus. And as he's before Jesus, Jesus tells him, I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home. And from there, the passage tells us that immediately the man picked up his mat, stood up, and went home praising God. Now we're going to see a theme through some of these. I'm going to set it up so you're looking for it. The theme of immediately praising God. His response wasn't later on that he just thought, oh, well, that was pretty amazing. It was an immediate response to what Jesus had done for him. As we go on, we see later in Luke 13, Jesus encounters a woman, a woman who had been crippled for 18 years, unable to stand up straight, in a lot of pain, struggling just to go about her day. Life had changed for her. She wasn't able to live in the way she had liked. And as she goes up, Jesus notices her, that she's bent over and could not straighten at all. And when he saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And he put his hand on her. And immediately she straightened up and began praising God. And this occurs again as we look in Luke 17. As Jesus encounters these 10 lepers, a situation where normally these men would yell out, unclean, would scream to keep people away. It's what they were trained to do so that they wouldn't infect someone else. But it, was also meant, it also meant that they were very lonely. When you were with leprosy, you had to leave your home, your family, everything that you knew. In fact, this meant leaving your place of worship as well. And they were left feeling as outcasts. 
And when they saw Jesus, the man that they knew and had heard had done so many great miracles, they foregone a conclusion of doing all the normal right things and they instead yelled out to him, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And Jesus goes on to tell them from a distance, he says, go and show yourself to the priests and you will be cleansed. And as they walked away, scripture tells us that they walked away and they realized that they were clean, that they had been healed. And nine of them ran away to go show, to be able to go home. Can you imagine finally being able to be healed and see your family? Yet one man, one man stops in his tracks. A Samaritan man, we're told. A person who shouldn't care about this Jewish Jesus, shouldn't care about this situation, and who should have gone on his way. Yet he stops and he said in a loud voice, he was praising God. He stopped in that moment, ran to Jesus, and in a loud voice was praising him. See, I guess there is proof that we can be loud in worship, right? It says it right here. And as he goes, Jesus asked him, were there not nine? Yet this one man came back and praised God immediately. And then in Luke, finally in Luke 18, Jesus encounters a blind man who's on the side of the road, a man who had been there for years, a man that the people of this area knew to be blind. And when Jesus entered, men around him told him that Jesus was approaching. And Luke tells us that this man cried out, Son of David, identifying who he knew this Jesus to be, the promised Savior. And he said, have mercy on me. And Jesus says to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And again, in true Luke fashion, he says, immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. Left everything behind because he knew what was important. He knew what had happened. And he was overwhelmed with joy. And the interesting part about this account is it's different than the others in the way that these other people who were around him noticed this, saw what had happened, and they too went on praising God. You know, as we hear these accounts, it's important for us to realize exactly what's happening here, to not lose sight of this cause and effect relationship. In fact, each of the individuals in these stories, these accounts were struggling. They're struggling with physical ailments, for things that they couldn't take care of on their own, things that had separated them, things that had made them feel lonely and hopeless. And here, Jesus comes in and heals them, provides them finally with a hope, a hope that they didn't have before. And we see their response. Their praise toward God was evident. In fact, immediately, they didn't wait. In that moment, they praised God. And here's an important question for us to address. As we look at these people responding, was their response out of something they had to do? Was it something they felt necessary in order to be able to receive this? We know the answer is no. It's not like when we train our children to say thank you after they receive a snack or something and you have to remind them 200 times or more to say thank you. No, there was no reminder. There was, no, there was nothing needed because they felt and knew in that moment and they welled up with joy. Because God had provided them with the thing that they needed. God provided them with the love and care. And he told them that their sins were forgiven as well. Their response was out of thanksgiving. Their response was out of love. 
The response was out of the overwhelming grace and mercy that Jesus had given them in that moment. You know, these passages help us to better understand the why of worship because they show us that it's not about just coming into a place once a week. It's not about singing songs. It's not about an order of things that we think we have to do. Instead, it's about an immediate response when Jesus is there and present in our lives. And the constant reminder that God is with us at all times can help us to remember that worship isn't just something we do on Sunday, but it's something we do on Sunday that models the rest of our week. It provides us with an outline to praise God, to sing, to pray, to read scriptures, and to lift one another up, to lift fellow brothers and sisters up who are struggling in their time of need, in the moment, immediately. In Luke 7, we are told that Jesus was invited by a Pharisee by the name of Simon. Now, I'm fairly certain that Simon didn't have a party in mind when he invited Jesus to his house. But Jesus went nonetheless. Jesus accepted the invitation. And as he's sitting there as an invited guest, this woman, this uninvited woman, enters in. And we know that this woman has a past because Luke tells us that she was a woman of the city, a sinner. And if that wasn't enough to give us a picture of who this woman was, he goes on to say what Simon had said, that if Jesus was a prophet, he would know what this woman did. It doesn't take us long to realize that this woman had a past, that she was struggling and she was hurting. And as she walked in, it was most certainly that she was judged. She was looked upon as the sinner she was, identified by what she had done in her past instead of who she was as a child of God. And she walked in and went straight to Jesus. And as she approaches Jesus, we hear that she begins to weep. Now I'm not talking about a tear running down the side of her cheek like we see in the movies. Instead, a wailing. So much so that Jesus' feet were becoming wet and soaked. And she kneels down at Jesus' feet and undoes her hair, yet another thing that would cast her out and make her look like the person they already thought her to be. Improper to do that in public, yet she didn't care. And she took her hair and she wiped Jesus' feet and she didn't stop kissing him. And then she took this alabaster jar of perfume and poured it on his feet. This ointment, this, this sign of who she knew Jesus was. You know, it would be obvious for us to look at this and think, as she's crying, why? Why is this sinful woman crying? Why is she so overwhelmed? And as we do that, we might be tempted to look and think, well, it makes sense. Of course, she's, she feels horrible about what she's done, the choices she made, the person she has been. She should be crying. And we do that because, well, in truth, we look in the mirrors and we know who we are too. We know that we are sinful. We know the things that we've done. We don't have to think too hard about those mistakes we've made, those poor choices that we too have made in our lives that have caused us to feel separated, have caused us to feel left out and have caused us to feel as though we don't belong, much like this woman might have felt. But what if we changed our perception of this? What if we looked at this and what if we asked the question of, is she crying because she's sad and remorseful or are these tears of joy 
Are these tears of joy finally for knowing that someone loves her and cares for her, knowing that someone has called her by name, knowing that someone, regardless of her past, has set the past aside and loves her for a child of God that she is. You see, it's often easy for us to look at these moments and think of it from our perspective. Yet as she entered that room, can you imagine finally feeling love for the first time? Finally feeling as if someone cared about who she was instead of what she's done. And as we look at this, we know this to be true because that she's finally feeling joy because Jesus tells her, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. And go in peace. Matthew describes Jesus as a friend of sinners. And this woman is finally seeing what a friend of sinners is truly like. One who loves regardless of the past you've had, regardless of the things that you've done, and loves you because of what he has done for you and will do for you. You know, like the others in Luke's gospel, we see, we see this response, this immediate praising of God. And maybe there are times in your life where you've experienced this too. Maybe there's times where you've realized the forgiveness and you know that God loves you. My prayer is that that's every day that you know that Jesus is with you, that Jesus loves you more than anything else in all of creation. And that he has set you apart so that we can praise him, we can worship him, we can hold him up as the God who loves us. A God who has saved us and a God who continues to be the very heart of our worship. This past week and the week before, we've had VBS. It's been awesome. It's been amazing. And I say this because I've experienced both of these weeks. We've had over 300 students at Fishers and 350 students here. And then we had adult volunteers, almost 200 between both sites, who have come together to be involved in this amazing event. And I'll tell you, people came in, in truth, probably not even knowing what they're entering into. They knew that their friends were going to be there. They knew that there might be some games, there might be some Bible stories, there might be some crafts. And I'm sure they knew that they'd be singing some songs here and there. But I don't know if they realized exactly what was going to happen. In fact, as we talked about through this week, our theme was that we have an awesome God. And as we came in on Monday, you could see the tired faces and people not really too sure. We saw the people who were kind of standing back a little by themselves, people who came in and all ready. But we also had some of those tears, and these I don't think were tears of joy. Yet as the week went on, things changed and things progressed. As we talked about this theme about how awesome of a God we have, we focused on day one, that God loves you no matter what. Remembering Paul's words in Romans 8, that nothing can separate us from God, the love of God. And on day two, we went on to talk about the fact that we are never alone, that God is with us wherever we go. We never have to fear. And day three, we move farther to remind us that God is always in charge. Regardless of the world we see, regardless of how challenging it can be in our daily lives, that we can have faith that we are not alone and that God will lead us through this. And finally, on day four, we talked about the gospel message. It always culminates on that day four. And this year, we, the, fo the focus was that God is stronger than anything we might face. 
As we went through this week, we saw lives changed. And I want to share with you a little video of the last day. Because as the week went on, we saw this intensity, this excitement grow. We saw God working through the lives of these students and, and these leaders as they truly saw that they could worship in that moment. They could worship in the craft time. They could worship in their Bible time. They could worship in here, singing songs of praise. And I want to share with you, this is our closing of day four. So you can see some of the singing that they did and the actions. Pretty exciting stuff. It was a lot of fun. And for those who were able to be there, it was exciting. But the problem is I think sometimes we look at, when we think about this word worship, we think it has to look like that. Now that was awesome. And that is a way to worship. But through our scripture today, we've seen so many various ways of worship, so many ways that we can just pour our hearts out for God. And it's in the moment it's in those moments when we're driving to work and we're listening to the song that comes on the radio that touches our heart because it reminds us of who Jesus is in our lives. It's in those moments when we wake up in the morning and we kneel by the side of the bed and say our prayers for God to bless us this day. It's in the moments when people come to us hurting and in need and we spend time in prayer. And it's in those moments when we lay our heads on the pillow at night and thank God for all that God has done for us in that day. You see, although that is a part of worship and it's a beautiful part of worship, there are so many ways that God calls us to worship. And as we read this final passage, this final part of scripture where we see Jesus sharing this, this peace with this woman, he tells her that your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. As we worship, God gives us peace. God gives us the reminder that we are forgiven through the sacraments, through what we will receive later in the service, through the reminder of our baptism, through the daily encounters that we have with all those who are around us who need to hear about the love of God and those times when people share the love of God with us, reminding us that we truly can worship and praise our God every time and in every situation. As we think about it, as we go about our week, as you leave here, my prayer is that as we worship, it forms us for the rest of our week, that it reminds us that it's not only in here, but rather we take this with us, that God is with us, and we take that awesomeness with us every single moment, and it reminds us to lift up and praise God even in those moments that are most difficult. Because Jesus' words were not only to the woman in that room, those words are for us, that we too are forgiven. Our faith has made us well. Our faith has saved us, and we too can go in peace, in a peace that surpasses all understanding so we can keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus every day throughout our lives. Amen? Amen.